Haven't the songs that we've sung this morning had such powerful messages in them? Hold to God's unchanging hand. Messages within them such as the powerful one about worthy of praise is Christ our Redeemer. You know, those songs often have some of those powerful sermons of all contained in them. And aren't we blessed to be able to sing them, to do so with freedom and liberty as we've done this morning, hopefully preparing us for the next few moments of reflection on a portion of the Word of God. As you may have already noticed, I've entitled the lesson today, Mind-Altering Substances. And perhaps that lesson is going to be exactly moving along the direction you would have anticipated. Because we live in a world where the challenge connected to that idea seemingly is continuing to ramp up in greatness relative to the demands it places upon those that would love the Lord and those that are serious about following His Word. For that reason, this morning, I thought that we would perhaps do us well to take just a Sunday, reflect upon some of the challenges that come with these ideas, and use them to encourage ourselves and all of those that we might well influence along that way. This introduction this morning will be somewhat lengthier than usual, because I felt as though this would be the right place to slide in some considerations, not the least of which some of those near the bottom of this slide. There's a great deal of discussion in our society, and we all know it well. I suppose the time was when there was a great deal of consideration about alcohol. But I might say that we've come to the point where it's not in any way lessening the consideration of that. But we have a generation of people who now are facing the legalization of marijuana. We now reached a point in our land where these mind-altering substances are legal. They are open to a consideration wherein our government has given its stamp of approval on this. And it isn't just medically related matters. That's only the tip of an iceberg. There are so many things that the human family can now make that purposely will alter the consideration of the mind, whether it be in particularly difficult and harmful ways or whether it just be in matters of pleasure. It becomes a matter of some interest then to ask, what does the Word of God say about things like this? I'm sure we've each heard about news stories or other kinds of statistics that speak about prescription drugs and how that those are being greatly abused. I say all of that simply to say that it would be of interest to ever remember, though the Bible was written a long time ago, whatever the circumstance that any civilization may face, no matter what the particulars that that group of people may face, there are answers in here. Every answer that's ever needed, every consideration that's ever vital for the salvation of those people is in this book. So it doesn't matter that there were some drugs available today that were not available 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter that there are some drugs available today that were not available a thousand years ago. Whatever the Word of God had to say to those of that day, the message contained therein is still vital. It's still for our interest in terms of health, but also for our interest in terms of being the example for the things that God would have us to be. So what does the Bible say about some of these things? We might well begin with a few statistics. Certainly, it would be such that one could spend a week reading over the statistics. And so, it is not my purpose to take up at least a large fraction of our time looking at statistics. None of them surprise us, I suspect. None of them come shocking to us. 
But I do want to at least remind us of some of the seriousness and maybe the statistics do at least a fair job in that. Are you aware of the fact that every single year, every year, those who are, might we say, of school age, students if you please, spend well over five and a half billion dollars on alcohol. That's more than they spend on coffee, drinks, tea, milk, school books combined. That's sad. The sadness connected to that is particularly a matter that every university, as far as I know, in this land has a complete department that has to deal with this because you don't want students to injure themselves or anybody else. And what a terrible tragedy it is among all else if some kind of bad press comes on it because students have acted under the influence of alcohol in a way that's not good. Tennessee Tech, Lipscomb, you name it, all of them will have large repositories of people whose job it is to ensure that at least students are aware of this and students still get access to it. We know they do. The next statistic goes on to say the United States of America, the land and country in which we live, Americans spend well over $90 billion a year. That's almost $100 billion a year on alcohol. I might begin by saying these statistics, difficult to find the most recent ones. These are a bit dated. I won't be a bit surprised if it's considerably more. As you read down that list furthermore, approximately half of every fatality on the roadways is connected to alcohol. Virtually half of them. Beyond all of that, in the year 2000, which admittedly was 22 years ago now, in the year 2000, as far as those aged 12 to 20, think how young some of these are. Already they were binge drinkers. A 12-year-old. Now, as shocking as all of that is, you and I now realize those statistics connected to alcohol could be greatly extended with regard to prescription-related drugs and other things, and some of those we'll note pretty shortly. You could go on to list several diseases which the medical community knows are connected directly to the frequency with which alcohol is imbibed. You could mention the difficulties of the liver. You could mention the difficulties connected to various other cancers that seemingly have very strong connections to it. All of that we could easily say summarizes to the following statement. The bottom one on that slide. There's no one that doubts that alcohol is a drug. It is. All of those in the government who study it, we know this. For that reason, anybody who is of a position to defend the social consumption of alcohol is defending drug abuse. Every argument for one will work for the other one. For that reason, we have to be mindful of the clarity of consideration that goes with what does the Word of God say about this. The next slide will just continue some of those thoughts relatively quickly. But it'll do so in the following way. Let me transition to invite you to look at just a few statistics about the larger drug problem. You'll notice shortly on that slide, somewhat over 20 million Americans, again, aged 12 and up, still relatively young at least in many ways, had used illicit drugs. And I even list for you what the particular choice of drug was. 
you'll notice again, for $14.8 million, it was marijuana. Another $2.4 million, cocaine. Somewhat approximately $1 million. Another in the category of hallucinogens. Finally, I've asked you to notice methamphetamine, and of course, in this part of our world, we know well the prevalence, the prominence, and the frequency with which amphetamines and methamphetamines can be made by people, sometimes in a very hurtful and deadly way. I say all of that to say, you could talk about prescription drugs. We know that our government, as well as others, try to watch with care to ensure that those who prescribe drugs and those who have access to it do so safely. But we all know that there are many who find access to drugs, sometimes in innocent ways, sometimes not. And yet all of that, too, leads you to that bottom statistic. It's over 7 million prescription drugs, again, were taken in a way that would be at least in that category. I begin the lesson with these kind of statistics, not to bring us to a position of blindness, but to bring us to a position of reality. It may well be that many of our families, in one way or another, perhaps distant or somewhat closer, have wrestled in some way or another with somebody who has found themselves in a position of being influenced by these. It'll require strength, and it'll require a degree of consistency with the Word of God. Because as we'll see today, there are several things that are at work that might well move a person to think about matters such as these. What about the problem? What would perhaps move or influence a person to begin to think about taking things like we've discussed? Let me list a few of them, and these are not new. Your parents and grandparents probably encourage you to think along these lines and to be mindful of these kind of influences. But let's at least begin like this. I chose to give some consideration to that group aged 18 to 26. We'd still call them young and in the formative years of their life. They're making choices about the directions that likely will cement many things about the future of their life, whatever that may be. For them, we all know that there are many forces at work, some of which are these. There is a rather strong desire in most cases to fit in. I do not want to be seen as unnormal. I do not want to be seen as one as the butt of their insults, their jokes, and the other outcasting matters that they may force upon me. Maybe we can all remember what some of that was like. High school, of course, is well known for that kind of territory. There are those who are together, and they have bound themselves together, and those that are not like them, or at least they don't consider it like them, are often subject to ridicule, to insult, quite often to great embarrassment. Next on that list, to be accepted in that way often leads in a person to be willing to take of some of this stuff just so that I'll not be outcast from that group. That kind of pressure leads me to the next observation on that slide. Sometimes, whether in that group or whether in someone who is even a bit older, there are some other forces at work, forces that I have briefly summarized nextly on that slide. Sometimes those of us that are older, we know very well the responsibilities that come with life. 
Sometimes those responsibilities can become great enough that someone wants a bit of relief from them. And I'm told by way of books, as well as those who've spoken on these subjects, that it's true these drugs, at least for a while, will give you a sense of pleasure. Your mind will be at ease. Don't know where it'll be, but it'll be at ease. And in light of some of these matters, maybe for at least a while, the weight of the responsibility of life can at least be lessened, maybe even removed for a while. But it isn't just that. It's a matter connected to sometimes those other obligations in life, whether it be bills, family, whether it be objects connected to work or otherwise, the relief that sometimes comes, I guess even short-lived, can be something that's so desirable that they're willing to at least take upon themselves these kind of matters. As you revisit briefly the matter of alcohol, you know, we all understand that alcohol, though the TV, of course, never advertises it this way, it does alter one's appreciation in mind and take enough of it. And you certainly will feel differently. You'll feel better. You'll feel as if there's been a removal of weight. But as you and I can easily appreciate, transition back to those that are younger. We've already noted earlier, younger and younger seems to be those who are finding influence from these matters. We can now step back to the age of 12, 11, 10, 9, or even earlier. Sometimes it's grades. Sometimes it's the pressure connected to popularity. Just cannot stand the thought of being unpopular and being unaccepted by some group of people. Perhaps it's fair to say, in light of all of that, that whether it be these other mind-altering things, these weights could be significant. Why don't we use the rest of our time this morning and simply allow the Bible to do some talking to us. And may I say that these words are words of encouragement. They are words that will greatly assist and help us, whether it be you or I or somebody we can help influence. It may be a nephew or a niece or a grandchild. It may well be just a neighbor who may find him or herself battling the issues of wondering, is it okay to do this? Would it be wise to do this? Maybe you and I can have the words that can be of some benefit, that can be of some help. Let me offer to you just a handful of ideas. I hope that you have your Bible and you'll turn with me as we look at various passages of Scripture that, remember, have been etched in the Word of God for millennia now that can help us, at least in giving some thought to the matters before us today. First of all, might we never lose sight of the fact that God loves us. He loves all of us. He's even so hopeful that those in sin will in fact come to the realization of how much He loves them so that they will make the proper choices that they can live with Him for all eternity. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should in fact appreciate the power of everlasting life, John 3.16. Are we not taught in Romans 5.8, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That text in 1 John 4.10, you and I are reminded, it's not that we loved Him first, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
God doesn't then want anybody to purposefully do that which is harmful to themselves or in some way diminishes that of which they're capable. And that leads us directly to the next observation. For point number two is this. As designed, the human body is an absolute masterpiece. There is no machine the human family has ever created that even comes close to it. David said in the long ago in Psalm 139, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. It would thus not be a wise thing to do in any way to do that which will in any way distract from, harm, or deteriorate the functioning capabilities of the body. Now to do that purposefully reminds us in the words of 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20 that specifically with regard to those that are Christians, we are owned by Him. We don't own ourselves. That being said, we thus are mindful of the powerful connection to His Word with whatever it might be that we're choosing to do. The masterpiece of the human body. This reminds me of some other things. You and I are well aware of various machines that men have made. How often would you and I purposely put water in our gasoline tank? Now, we might do that accidentally. We'd regret it. But would we ever do it purposefully? Would you ever take the distributor of your engine and put shaving cream in it? Well, not purposefully. Very understand, it wasn't made for that. It was made to carry out its functioning duties and do so in a smooth, effective, and efficient way. I'm sure that many of us, like myself, absolutely detest viruses on a computer. You know, our life is such that we've come to often use computers. We have to employ them in terms of our jobs and other duties of life. And yet, isn't it tragic that somebody has taken the time to write a virus that'll infect that computer and reduce its functionality to near zero if it's bad enough? And then you have to exert the effort, the time, and the money to get somebody to remove the, to, to remove the virus. The human body is far more special than any computer. And yet, isn't it sad to think that we might make a choice then to do something to deteriorate the functioning of that body? Look at number three. In light of these two so far, why don't we look at some statements from the Word of God that are so powerfully presented to us? Could I turn your attention to 1 Timothy 4.12? In fact, we'll invest a bit of time on those evangelistic epistles for the next few moments. But Paul, in fact, make this statement. Let no man despise thy youth. Are you aware of the fact that Paul, as he addressed Timothy and others, they were younger than he. And in that day and time, you might well appreciate some of the forces that they faced. And yet they were admonished. Don't you let anybody despise your youth. Now, they may choose to do or say things about you, to you, and in regard of you, but your choices ought to be in light of purity. Purity. Keep thyself pure. The famous words of 1 Timothy 5.22. That injunction was not just an arbitrarily stated one. And could we not say how strongly that idea connects to other kinds of matters in life besides even drugs or alcohol? Sexuality. Keep yourself pure. There is something about the example of purity 
the nobility of it and the character by which it directs the forces of life. In 2 Timothy 2.22, yet one more time, Paul admonished, make sure out of a pure heart that the actions you choose to follow are those that would be consistent with the teaching of the Lord. Now, purity is something that is so very special. And might we say that at least in some regards, once lost, it's not easy to regain it. How important it is that we encourage our youngsters, our youth, and even others that we have the opportunity to influence. Make sure you prize purity. Do not look upon it as a trivial thing. Do not see it as that which you can compromise because that, once given up, is not easily regained. In some cases, it cannot be regained. The issue of purity leads me to note a few of those additional passages, such as the name that goes with you and I. Isn't it a matter that is easily appreciated by all of us? Once a person makes a bad choice, once that idea is then understood and known, it in most cases will last with that person until they die. Doesn't matter what they may choose to do afterward, you'll never forget the mistake they made when they were 22, when they were 19, when they were 29. And that mark on their name seemingly just rests in your heart and mind. We remember it sadly. Isn't it true that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor more than wisdom and gold? That statement of Proverbs 22.1 encourages us to think twice about the nature of the choices that we make to ensure that they're wise ones. That kind of wisdom leads us back to this. What kind of name goes with drug use? And what kind of reputation goes with the usage of alcohol and goes with these other influencing things that we've noted earlier today? In fact, we'll have more to say about that shortly. But let's take care of number four first. We mentioned earlier about peer pressure. There's no question that the pressure of peers can be significant. In fact, it can bring tears to your eyes. You may remember it well when there were days you'd come home from school Sad and tragically so because somebody wouldn't let you do something as a part of their group or wouldn't invite you to go to a particular place, sleepovers or otherwise. When you're young that way, it can be a very moving thing. I would even say oh, those of us that are older still face peer pressure. Sometimes there are things that take place at work, be it conversation about the water cooler or otherwise. Conversation that's ugly conversation that's hurtful, conversation that's far from being Christianly. And yet, you and I might not be invited to participate. I would say all of that to say, whether old or young, there seems to be a pressure that goes with a group mentality. On that slide, maybe we should recall Exodus 23 too. Now keep in mind, Moses, as God's spokesman, had these words to say. Now, that civilization then was far different than us today. But listen to how powerfully the words seem to speak to us just like it did them. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. The multitude may be doing evil. They may have evil on the mind, and they may have evil in the hands. 
they may involve themselves to pursuing thus what is not noble and right. Don't you follow them. They may speak evil of you. So be it. They may not appreciate the choice you make. That's fine. The story is often told about a group of young boys in high school in Jackson County a number of years ago. One of those boys knew better from the teaching in the church. That boy seemingly appreciated that those others had evil on the mind that night and it was not going to turn out good. He asked them, please stop and let me out. They did. The others were in jail by morning. Think about the kind of reputation it would have been led for that one if he hadn't got out. Now, I might say, who knows what could have happened. It could have been worse than jail. They could have wrecked that night. Lives could have been lost that night. But he made the choice, i got to get out of this. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. You and I have to have that mental consistency, that mental determination that says we're just not going to follow this. In Proverbs 1 verse 10, the wise man Solomon would say, Again, do not follow that grouping to do what's evil. Is it any wonder in those matters? Sin is going to love company. It always has. And we can expect it to continue that way. Someone who's doing wrong wants somebody with them. They want a partner in the crime, if you please. Are you and I not admonished from Genesis chapter six, chapter 3 onward? You might recall that Eve, once she partook of that forbidden fruit, gave soon to Adam, and he chose to follow it. It might well be in that connection how strongly you and I remember words like Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend will not ask a friend to do what's wrong. Now, when a person claims to be a friend and thus motivates or at least insists that you do this, knowing it's wrong, the person is not your friend. We know that because that's what the Bible teaches. The next point, point number five, asks us to give some careful thought to what are the friends of these things we were discussing this morning. What's the friend of alcohol? What's the friend of drug abuse? Are it it things that are noble? Are these things noteworthy? You see, you can tell a great deal about something by that which it keeps company with. And so, look at these matters of drug abuse or the usage of drugs. What seemingly goes with it? Don't you find it interesting that there are warnings that are connected to these kinds of things? I've listed on the slide some other matters for your consideration. Isn't it true that you observe wastefulness, often violence, in many cases, great hurt and loss? Does it sound as if it's something good when that's what goes along with it? The Word of God will say it like this. In Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20, Jesus Himself said, "...ye shall know them by their fruits." Look at what keeps company with it. And if that is not noble, and if that is harmful and hurtful, you can expect then that the thing under consideration is too. Today, it's understandable that we certainly need to be mindful and greatly encouraging of youth to be aware of the dangers connected with these, but perhaps to offer some thoughts from the Word of God to assist in that discussion. 
You may notice among the statements there are Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Surely among the verses of the Word of God that will at least in principle help us address this, what is stronger than this? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There's a distinction between thee and that which is of the flesh and that which is of the Spirit. The wisdom connected to one of them is so different than the danger connected to the other one. Point number six is this. We've so far looked at various considerations, some of which have related to this one, but perhaps it's best to just ask about this one in a very direct way. We noted earlier that sometimes there's a turning to these matters when it comes to relief from the issues of life. But isn't it true that the issues and the problems and the challenges of life are best faced by a mind that's sharp enough, capable enough to make the decisions that are in the best interest of handling it? Doesn't the Bible teach this too? Several different verses give the order of the following desire for you and me. 1 Peter 4, 7. We are commanded that we with sober mind, and that word sober, as you can see in the definition, literally means to be of sound mind, to have the capacity and the capability to utilize the thought processes bequeathed to us to make the right decisions in handling even difficult circumstances, and yet to purposefully take something that will take that power from us, Certainly seems foolish, doesn't it? It seems ill-advised, and it seems to be certainly in the wrong direction. At the very bottom of that slide, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You see, drugs offer no genuine escape from the problems of life. When you regain your senses, the problems are still there. It's just that you're worse off now. You have spent money and perhaps many other things in terms of livelihood and health to pursue this, and it's brought no benefit. We'll close our lesson like this. The last two. I mentioned only a handful of ideas, and all of these have helped us at least consider some of the things the Bible will remind us. We mentioned earlier the ownership connected to the Christian. We're owned by the God of heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 remind us of that truth, and it sets before us the reality we desire then to allow Him to direct us because He owns us. The eighth and final one is thus this summary. There are some words used in the Word of God, such as Proverbs 20, verse number 1 and following that talk about wine being a mocker, and strong drink is raging, and anybody deceived thereby is not wise. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine. 1 Peter 4, verses 3 and following, do not do this. So in application to alcohol, those commandments seem very straightforward. But you and I can notice other passages like 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6, and our lesson text that was read at our hearing today. Allow me to reread Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us 
that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There are worldly lusts, but on standing opposed to them are things that involve living soberly. That word soberly means again of sound mind. Not a mind that can't think or a mind that is motivated by drugs or alcohol to be unable with the capacity to think. In fact, there is the usage in other passages like the First Thessalonians passage in which the Greek word literally means to have taken no wine. Now, if wine has within it those mind-dulling capacities, then anything else will fall under the same Bible condemnation. Aren't we thankful then that whether it was those living 2,000 years ago or us today, we can understand the danger that goes with mind-altering substances to socially and purposely choose them stands opposed to what God would have in hopes for you and me. He wants something far better than that. I hope that our discussion today, not only from the statistical standpoint, but some of those others too have been a reminder that the Word of God has within it the words of answer to whatever the ills and problems that may well come our way. I hope that we'll each be motivated to encourage those that we can influence to understand the danger that comes with the social usage of these kinds of things. Though our society seems to condone and approve it and even relish in it, you and I know that the Word of God is such that the desire of Him for us is far better than what these things can offer. Today, the Lord's invitation is extended, but it's not just extended to those who may have been influenced by things like what we've discussed this morning. It's any sin, and God wants us to rise above it. Not that we can do it by ourselves, but it's by His strength and His capacity and His forgiveness that we can do it. Today, if there's someone in this assembly that would have the desire, the need to come forward today, we wish to extend to you that wonderful opportunity because Jesus in many ways is pleading with you. He's begging you to come to your senses and to think of sound mind about what the Christian way of life is here and what shall be hereafter. Today, if you're not a Christian, become one as follows. Believe in the Lord, repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized. If you have known that way of life and have strayed from it, allowing the devil and his assertions to lead you into behaviors and maybe even habits of life which are not good and they're not wholesome and they're not consistent with Bible truth. You know, God will forgive, but you've got to repent and you've got to confess those things. But if you'll do that, He will wipe all of that clean and you'll be able thus to live faithfully and godly here just as we read in Titus 2.12. If we could be of some help to you today, we'd love to do that while together we stand and while we sing.